you're listening to For Eternity and Until, where together we uncover how to bring heaven to earth in our everyday choices and live the life we were created for. I'm your host, Tori Mayhine, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's get this party started. Welcome, everybody, back to For Eternity and Until. My friend Barb Hill is here with me. She is a licensed mental health therapist. She owns and runs the counseling service called Holding Space Counseling in Franklin, Tennessee. She is such an incredible listener and full of wisdom. And we're going to talk about some really deep things today. So, I invited her on because I couldn't think of anybody better to talk about the topics we're going to dive into. (laughs) I love you. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Oh, I love you too, Tori. This is so fun for me and I'm so glad that we're doing this. Yeah, I am too. Barb has a book that's coming out in November called Seasons of Waiting, An Invitation to Hope. So later on in the year, we're going to have her back to specifically talk about the book. But in the meantime, we're going to discuss disappointment, grief, vulnerability, and how they all intersect toward a wholehearted pursuit of God in the midst of sorrow and disappointment. Even just like saying that out loud, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a really good one. I know that Mm -hmm. I need this conversation. I know there's many others that need this conversation as well. Before we dive in, can I ask you some more lighthearted conversations before we dive into the heavy stuff, just so that everyone can get to know you? (laughs) Absolutely. Let's go. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The first question is describe yourself in one word. Oh boy. Okay. Um, Warm. Warm is a great word to describe you. Well done. Okay, number two. Where is your happy place? Hmm. My happy place would probably be at home, but I envision a very particular scene. So early in the morning um, with a cup of coffee, blanket over my lap, my dog by my feet, just those quiet, still moments in the morning is such a sweet, happy time for me. Yes. I like that time too. Although I will mm-hmm. say I'm not as much of a morning person, but I, okay. I'm digging your description. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I am either, but I'm <laughs> loving when them. When <laughs> we wake up in the morning, it's magical. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. Name something that you're obsessed with right now. You know, the only thing that I can think of, and this is so random, but my friend got me this water I don't know, water cup thing. And I've been tumbler. Is it a tumbler? Yes. Tumbler. It's like a water tumbler thing with a straw. Stainless steel keeps things cold all day long. And it fits in my car, like the, um, the cup holder. It's all in the details, you know, it really is. It's the worst. If you bring a cup into your car that doesn't fit into the cup holder, it's true. You have to like hold it in your legs or like put it on the side or (laughs) (laughs) the other day I actually put a cup of coffee because my mug did not fit inside of the cup holder. I put it on the floor underneath my seat because I, it was like halfway empty. And then this guy slammed on his brakes and coffee just went like everywhere. And I'm like, see, this is why I need, I need a tumbler. So yes, it's very obsessive worthy. That's a great (laughs) answer. Next question is if you could eat only one meal forever, what would you eat? Oh gosh. It's probably not going to be anything nutritious. I love Mexican food, so I would be fine with any sort of Mexican food. Even if it were like chips and guac, I would be, 
I guess fine with that. I would probably not really not be the healthiest choice for <laughs> my life. <laughs> but anything Mexican related. I think it could survive on chips and guac. It's crazy the amount of people that answer that question. Salsa, guac, and chips, man. That's what's better than that. Okay, this is the last question. I feel most myself when I am. Actually, when I'm being really goofy and silly. Um, Yes, I think I spend so much of my time, obviously, as a therapist in those deep, serious places. Um, But there's definitely this other very real part of me that is very silly and goofy. And I think when I feel the freedom to step into that part of me, I feel very free in that. Mm -hmm. Mm, I love that. All right. Now we're going to dive in deep. Let's do it. (laughs) We're going to dive in deep because we're talking about disappointment and grief and gosh, on the hinges of the last couple of years of really traumatic it felt traumatic and blindsiding in more than one way, right? Like I was just recounting back to early 2020 and the high expectation and hope that came with that new year, only even in Nashville to be blindsided by a tornado that went through the city and the devastation of that and then COVID and then businesses closing down, relationships suffering, churches closed, the pandemic, health, racial injustice, and we're all isolated in the middle of this. And it doesn't seem like on the outside of this, now we're in 2022, but it still feels like we are carrying anchors of weight behind us as we're trying to move forward because we're really afraid that if we set our hopes high, that we're going to be met with disappointment and it's not going to work out. So why even try? And this is true for not just business owners and ambitious women who are, you know, talking about what they do for a living, but dating, relationships, parenting, every aspect of our life. I know this touches me in a lot of ways. So could you just open the door of the conversation for us and talk about how grief and disappointment and vulnerability are all interconnected with each other, how they relate to each other and what you're seeing even as a therapist in 2020 mm-hmm. hinging on the, on the back end of this mm-hmm. disappointment. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just am grateful that you're making space to talk about these particular topics because I think as the therapist, I, I am able to get this very unique perspective into people's lives, um, kind of pulling back the curtain of people's lives and getting into the details of what's going on. And there's a really strong theme with when it comes to grief and disappointment. I think it's taken on different forms as we've gone from 2020 to now 2022. Um, I think we started grieving one thing and then we began grieving a whole lot of other things as we've traveled through the last Mm. couple years. So just wanted to say that first, I think it's really important that you're making space for it because I think if we like anything, if we don't talk Mm. about it, I think people don't realize how normal it is um, that they're going through what they're going through. So I think just naming it, making space for a conversation around it is powerful in and of itself. But I would say, you know, when it comes to the relationship Mm. between grief and disappointment in particular, most times when we experience disappointment, it has the potential to evolve into grief. It doesn't always have to evolve into grief, um, but I would say most times it does because we experience grief 
obviously when we're, um, when we've encountered some sort of loss, um, but disappointment is such a part of that process. There was some picture that we had in our mind for the way things were going to look or the way things were going to go. And whenever there's that gap or that space or difference between the picture we had, the way we thought it was going to go, even the way we thought we were going to feel, if any of that looks different than what we're experiencing, we end up feeling disappointed. And ultimately we are ushered into this feeling and experience of grief. And there's all kinds of stages of grief that we move Mm -hmm. through. And depending on the loss, depending on the disappointment, we could find ourselves going through all these different stages of grief. And I think it's important to recognize that we don't move through these stages of grief in any linear way. We kind of bounce all over the place. So I would Mm -hmm. say when it comes to the relationship between disappointment and grief, often when we feel disappointed, there's a picture that we had in our our mind for the way we thought things were going to go. And if that doesn't, that picture doesn't materialize, then we step into this feeling and this experience of grief where we feel the impact of that loss, the impact of the difference between the picture we had Mm. and the one that we're actually living in. I'm going to break really quick to tell you about our sponsor, Talk About. It's a resource that was created by Awana, and it's a discipleship resource for parents and caregivers who want to have more intentional conversations with their kids about the Bible and their faith. With your membership, you'll receive resources every week in your email that will help you practically start conversations. I know that for me, it's really helpful to have a guide for some of these things rather than just always using the examples around us so I could be really intentional. I also think this is a fantastic resource for homeschool families that are looking for a Bible curriculum that's more relationship focused. Go to talkaboutdiscipleship.com. The link is in the bio and you can get your first month free using the code, all caps, ETERNITY. Yeah. Absolutely. When I think about this, I know in my life, it's easy to downplay what I've experienced because it's not big enough compared to some of the other stories. I was sitting with a friend last week and she's like, I feel like I shouldn't even be allowed to be disappointed about this because it's not that big of a deal compared to. I'm like, do you really have, can you even compare your story to another person's story or your feeling of disappointment and grief to another person's disappointment and grief? Do you find that regularly in conversation? And could you speak to that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is so, so common. I think it's really easy for us to put pain on a hierarchy and to dignify somebody else's pain or disappointment as more valuable, more important than our own, or sometimes even the reverse may happen where we aren't able to see the value in somebody else's circumstance because we're maybe blinded by our own. So it kind of works in both directions. So true. Yeah. So yeah, that's really common. And that's one of the things that I try to dismantle right from the beginning when I'm sitting with someone is let's just level the playing field. Pain doesn't live in a hierarchy. Your disappointment, grief doesn't live on a hierarchy because if you're feeling the pain, it matters. It has value. Right. But that's usually where we start. I remember the first time that someone did that for me, or the first time I ever got onto a call with a therapist in a very hard season. And that is all she needed to say to me. Your pain is real. And 
wow. Mm -hmm. You know, like she just acknowledged just the acknowledgement of the pain that I was walking through gave me permission to feel it and to process it instead of just at least what I was doing was compartmentalizing it. It doesn't matter. It's in the way it's getting in the way of me being able to do the things that I want to do. So I don't want to feel disappointed. So I'm just going to pull myself up from my bootstraps and move on. But then I've also seen in in different seasons of my life and in friendships around me where the choice to grieve and experience disappointment is so elongated and they end up getting trapped there without processing it and being able to move forward from it. So how do we navigate the balance between those two things? Because in the seasons of deep disappointment and grief, it's easy to get trapped there or it's easy to completely compartmentalize and not feel it at all. So how do we do both? Feel it, acknowledge it, honor it, and move through it toward, you know, in action and behavior and belief back to the truth that God's established for us? Mm-hmm. That's such a great question. I would start by taking maybe one step back. What mm-hmm. I do with clients all the time is before we try to forge a path forward, we need to first understand what's what's in the way, what's going to what are the barriers that are in the way for you to move in the direction that you want to move? Mm. Oftentimes one of those barriers can be some of these misguided ideas about even just feeling our emotions. We have these ideas that if I were to feel the grief, if I were to feel the impact of the disappointment that I would, like you said, get stuck there. And the reality Mm. is it's in the not feeling it that we get stuck. Mm. And so to first wow. connect with that idea, that un, that truth, really, that it's in the not feeling, it's in the not looking at it, it's in the avoiding it, sidestepping it, that I get stuck. And if you yes. buy in with, with that truth, that reality, then it's really going to revolutionize the steps that I'm going to take forward towards processing the grief and processing the disappointment. Because I agree with you, we Mm. can't be in this constant state of feeling the grief or feeling the disappointment. That would be so overwhelming to our systems. Mm -hmm. But once we kind of work through that idea that feeling it is going to get me stuck and I realize actually the not feeling will get me stuck, then I step into, okay, how do I process and feel this grief and this disappointment in a manageable way? And mm-hmm. what I often will offer to my clients is this idea of feeling and containing. It's this kind of seesaw idea that the feeling sits on one end of the seesaw, the containing the feeling sits on the other side. And there's this equilibrium between mm-hmm. the two that I make space to mm-hmm. feel the grief when it pops up. Cause I think all of us know that grief kind of, it's like a wave of the sea. It just kind of comes in and then it goes out. And so I think it's giving yourself permission that when that wave of grief rolls in, that you allow space for it. And if in the moment you're in the middle Mm -hmm. of like caring for your kids or you're at work or you don't have the space Mm -hmm. in that moment to process it or feel it, to make a mental note to be like, okay, I can't address that now, but I'm going to be committed to circle back to it later. And I'm going to make space to process it and to feel it and to work through it. So I think it's 
on that one side of the seesaw that, okay, I'm committed to make space to feel and to process this grief and this disappointment. And then on the other side of the seesaw that I know how to contain that emotion. I know when I need to put it away. So I think there is a healthy compartmentalization that we can incorporate into our lives. Then I'm going to put this on the shelf for a little bit, and then I'm going to be committed to take it off the shelf and process it again. So it's very Mm -hmm. much the seesaw of, I'm going to feel what I need to feel And then I'm going to contain it for a bit. And you kind of just go back and forth. Wow. I love that imagery. That's a great example. Okay. Speak to this for me. Mm -hmm. So in conversations with Christian women, what I hear often is this misguided idea that we have to shield God from the feelings and the emotions that we aren't allowed to feel. And I don't know where this necessarily comes from. If it's like, we are only supposed to experience joy and follow the joy or, you know, we praise our way through into the breakthrough and the promise. And somewhere along hearing those words, we believe that if we're experiencing disappointment or grief or hard emotions that need processing and need to be tended to and acknowledged and met by the grace and love and truth and redemption of God and by honestly the attention of other people, Cause that's the way that that process works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I could come to God solo, but that's still a little bit of a protection over my own heart of not admitting that I actually need things within my community and the people who have hurt me. So it's kind of like a twofold question for you. This feeling that I need to shield God and other people from these hard feelings of grief and disappointment, believing that if I perform just right, it'll determine the outcome it'll lead me to a positive outcome. Could you help me reframe that? Could you guide me into a different way of approaching it? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that's such a great question. And I feel like it's one that has a few layers to it. Yes. When it comes to shielding God from our grief or our disappointment or any emotion that we would deem negative, mm-hmm. I think it it might reflect what we're assuming God believes about emotion. And mm, I good. think about when I, when I think about the way that Jesus related to people, when they felt deep emotion, I see him as the most powerful empath. When he went to raise Lazarus from the dead before he even performed that miracle, I think it was so intentional of him to go with Mary and Martha and mourn and grieve with them before he did anything miraculous. He could have Mm -hmm. bypassed that pain and gone straight to the miracle that he knew he was going to do, but he intentionally made space to mourn and to grieve with them. And I think to me, at least that, that shows how much Jesus dignifies those experiences of pain and grief and disappointment Mm -hmm. that he steps into those moments with us. He's unintimidated. He's not threatened. He doesn't see that as weak. He actually steps into moments as the most powerful empath and grieves with us and mourns with us. And I think that can help reframe this, these false ideas that we have that God sees emotions as a negative thing or as an inconvenience or something that needs to be pushed to the side so that we can get to whatever we're trying to get to. Mm. So again, kind of going back to what I was saying before we can even move forward in the direction we want to go, it's acknowledging what's in the way. Like, do I believe that God has negative ideas about my emotions? And if he doesn't, maybe I don't have to shield him from them. Maybe he honors them and he dignifies them and he actually 
sees the, that grief and that disappointment as an invitation for him to step into that moment with me and reveal more of himself to me. So that I guess that addresses the first part. And then when it comes to in feeling the need to shield others from your grief or disappointment, I mean, what comes up for me is the vulnerability piece. And not to say that that doesn't apply yeah. to God, because it certainly does, but we are standing in front of people, you know, in the flesh. And I think that can bring another level of maybe intimidation for us. It's, it's scary to be seen, especially seen in a moment where we feel weak. Maybe the emotions that we're experiencing make us feel weak. And we want people to perceive us a certain way, perhaps. And so the vulnerability that it requires to allow others to see us in a moment of grief or in a moment of disappointment can feel really scary. And I think maybe even just starting there, that if you feel scared for people to see you in a moment like that, it's really normal and it's okay and it makes sense. And hopefully from there, that can be a bit disarming and neutralize some of the fear that we're feeling to let people into those places. And I think the caveat to that is we want to be wise about who we share our vulnerability with. We want to choose right. those those moments and those with the people that um, are safe and trustworthy and can hold that vulnerability with honor and sacredness. Mm -hmm. So could you expound a little bit on the feeling element of knowing that those things shift day to day and how you said that grief and disappointment and the emotions that come along with it kind of come in waves. So it's the balance of compartmentalizing and then also the willingness to be vulnerable before God and others to admit our need and express our emotion. The first thing that comes to mind is that question of, well, aren't we supposed to not be led by emotions? Are we being led by emotion? in these moments or are we being led by something else that would anchor us in truth? Like where's the balance between those two things, a feeling and emotion that you know may change depending on the circumstances and then being led by truth that is never changing, that anchors itself in who God is and what he says and thinks about us. How do we navigate yes. those things? That makes my brain go on like all cylinders, that kind of question. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I could go in 14 different directions. I have to choose them. <laughs> The best one. No, we only got a yes. short podcast recording. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good question for a whole bunch of reasons. For Eternity and Until has the privilege to partner with a nonprofit in the Ukraine called Joshua House. It's run by this beautiful couple named Jim and Sandy who have been in the Ukraine for over 30 years, personally rescuing children from sex trafficking, abandonment, homelessness, and adopting them as their own children. It's such an incredible ministry and it's run completely funded by supporters like you and me. They're currently using their facility to house refugees who have been misplaced due to the war. And if you're looking for a way to be a part of the solution to meet the needs of these people who desperately need it in this season, I encourage you to click the link in the podcast show notes to learn more about Joshua House and consider giving them a donation. All the links are in the show notes below. Emotions are imperfect gifts, right? So they, uh, they have so much value to us, but they're imperfect. But I, mm -hmm. I think if we can relate to our emotions in a way that can help move us forward towards God, towards others, and the distinction I often, excuse me, make with clients is that our emotions are 
are real. So if you're feeling fear, that's a real experience for you and it's valid. Mm. Yeah. Whether or not that fear is a reflection of what's true is a totally different story. So you may feel ashamed, Mm. you may feel afraid, you may feel alone, and all of those emotions indicate a very real and valid experience for you. But then it's going to the other side of that coin and evaluating, are these emotions indicating to me something that's true or are they projecting a false picture? So shame in particular, feeling shame is a very real, overwhelming experience. But the the narratives Mm. that come out of shame may be very I mean, maybe false, maybe untrue, and oftentimes they are. So I think it's seeing our emotions as imperfect gifts that feel when we feel them, it's a real and valid experience. And then it's getting curious. Is this emotion that I'm feeling that's real and valid? Is it reflecting what's true? Or is it reflecting something that needs to be challenged so that I can discover what is true about me, about God, about my life, about others. So I would say that's one, that's one part of it. Mm, That's so good. What about when you're experiencing an emotion like grief, disappointment, you're, you're in deep and then you pull up your phone and you watch your friend buy a house and have a perfect baby and like live in her best (laughs) life. And you're just sitting there in this position, like, how do I celebrate her win while I am in deep loss? You know, and I know, like you said, level the playing field. I know because I'm a mom and I've lived life enough that with every joy, there is also sadness. There's also still the presence of grief. We only, we're, we're seeing a picture online, for example, to finish the analogy and we're creating a whole list of beliefs and assumptions about that person and the emotions that they're feeling and what they're experiencing and then comparing it to us and thinking, why am I still here in this place of loss and this place of waiting and this place of disappointment? I want to feel like what I think she feels like in that picture. And I kind of hate her and want to just unfollow (laughs) her because I don't like her being happy. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I've been there multiple times and I've had friends, you know, communicate that to me. What do we do with that tension Mm -hmm. of both honoring? Cause it's the, in Ecclesiastes, when it says there's a time for everything under the sun, a time for joy, a time for sorrow, a time for all the list Mm -hmm. of emotions, every human experience Mm -hmm. to honor and set boundaries around what we need to be able to heal, but also being willing to celebrate and honor a contrary emotion and experience that someone else is experiencing that's close to us in our life. How do we balance? How do we navigate that? Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, social media can feel like a really complicated space that brings up a lot for for people. So all of that, (laughs) it makes a lot of sense. The thing with grief and disappointment in particular is that it really challenges challenges us to to learn how to live with a both and type of perspective. I think as humans, we gravitate so strongly to the extremes, to the either ors, to the black and whites, to this binary way of um, approaching ourselves and others and just our lives in general. We want it to be this or that. Mm. And I think when we're experiencing grief when we're walking through disappointment, Again, it just challenges us to to step into this both and way of living that even in our own lives, like we can have a moment of celebration and joy. And then in the other moment, we're reminded of something that's not here yet. 
I think like we, with tension, we want to resolve it, but with the both and it's learning how to expand ourselves to exist better within that tension rather than obsessively trying to resolve the tension and make it go away. And I get it. All of us want to be like, okay, the both and has tension either or does not have tension. Um, So let's resolve this tension as quickly as possible so that I don't have to feel that. And I I think this both and way of living is, is asking us, okay, how can, how can we expand our capacity to exist within tension because I think that's the reality of life. And I think that's what the pandemic really introduced in a lot of ways is that there's a lot of tension here, even just going back Mm -hmm. to your introduction and just all the different things that have gone on over the last two and a half years. There's so much tension in all of that. And some of which we may not be able to resolve, but we may need to learn how to exist within it in a more wholehearted way. And I think that's what wholehearted living is all about. I don't think it's the extinguishing of tension. I think it's learning how to expand ourselves, our capacities, our our ability to sit with difficult emotions, our willingness to be vulnerable. I think all of those factors equip us to exist within this tension in a more fruitful way. Wow. So the analogy or the picture that comes to mind is light and shadow where like, you know, I'm looking at you on this video recording in your beautiful office and there's beautiful light, but there's also that light casting shadow. And um, to put it into the words of John Foreman in one of his old Switchfoot songs, the shadow proves the sunshine. The shadow proves the sunshine. It's like a really old mm-hmm. Switchfoot song that like, came to mind. Right now here on earth, we can find our place like in a natural sense, I could dig a hole in the ground and cover myself up and be in complete and total darkness naturally. But there is no place here on earth in a natural sense where I could be in a room of only light. I don't even know if that can exist. Mm -hmm. Like maybe some scientist has figured out a way to make a shadow proof room or something. Mm -hmm. I know that I've never been in one. I've been in a light, in a light room. I'm sitting in my sunroom recording this with you but there's plenty of shadows that give dimension to this light, this lighted room here that I'm sitting in. I was thinking about that the other day of living in the both and looks like living in a sunroom with shadows. It's allowing the light to come in through the window and seeing, seeing, you know, open up the windows, let the light in of what God's grace and truth and love can shine into the darkest places But even in the midst of that light, because we're living here on earth in this imperfect place, there's still going to be the presence of shadow. But when we're living lives that are redeemed by the love of God, the shadow proves the sunshine. We can't have shadow in a totally dark room. And I love being in my little sunroom with all of the dimensions. So seeing my life and all of my emotions, the joy and the gladness mixed together to be this beautiful room of light and shadow that is my existence and life here on earth. This is like resting to go. There's actually a lot of beauty in that. And I love how you mentioned earlier in this conversation that sometimes it's actually the most joyful moments or the experiences that we thought would feel a certain way. And then they don't 
Mm. You know, even the, what should be your most happiest moments. How many times have we had conversations with people who on their wedding day or the day they got engaged or the day they got that promotion, or I watched a friend navigate her book relief. Um, she was releasing a book and got super sick the week of launch week, you know, and she's in bed and mm. sick. And she's like, this is actually real life. I dreamed of this moment, dreamed of this week. I'm sick in bed, but God's grace is still here and the light's still coming in through the window and it's casting it onto all the shadow of my experiences and my emotions. And Mm. there's beauty to be had when we don't avoid it. To your point, you said the trap is actually when we try to completely remove every shadow in a, in a room of light and darkness. And it's actually impossible to do until we reach heaven when it says that it's only light without any darkness, mm-hmm. without any shadow. It's the possibility of having that there. We're not there yet. So right now we're living in the for eternity and until mm-hmm. we're living in the light and the shadow on earth as it is in heaven. And it's a beautiful place to be. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, Tori. It reminds me of, um, and I actually include this excerpt in the book. There's a poem by Amy Carmichael called In Acceptance Lies Peace. And she goes through all of these different ways that we try to find peace outside of acceptance. And because I think big picture, what I hear and what you're describing is this acceptance of the both and. And I think when we yeah. hear the word acceptance, we can often assume we're talking about resignation or defeat. Like we resign ourselves to a, a reality that we don't like, but actually acceptance isn't like that at all. Acceptance transcends resignation. It transcends defeat. It's simply just acknowledging reality that I'm acknowledging the reality yeah. of the shadow and the light. And that acknowledgement of reality is really powerful and it leads us to peace that in the midst of the grief and the disappointment, the things that we didn't plan for, we didn't expect to be able to experience a level of acceptance that gives us peace is invaluable. Amen. As we close, could you share with us your favorite Bible verse? Whenever I ask this Mm -hmm. question, it always seems to reflect a little bit of the character and the calling of the person that I'm talking with. What What is a verse in your life that has been set as a characterizing milestone for you? Mm. Well, it's interesting because it really does line up well with our conversation. I couldn't have planned it better myself, but I think it's Psalm 114. I can't remember the actual verse number, but it's light arises in the darkness for the upright. Oh, wow. We really couldn't have planned that better. (laughs) Thanks God. Yes, I just love the imagery of that. And again, it's something that I include in the book just because when I think about the process of the night evolving, transforming into the morning, it's imperceptible. Like you can't, there's not like a distinct moment where you're like, okay, the night is gone, the day is here. Um, And I feel like that marks so much of how my life has felt that it's it's this light arising in the darkness. And um, I may not be able to like pinpoint the moment where the shift has happened, but it's happening nonetheless. Wow. Amen. I can't wait to read your book. By oh, the way. thanks. You guys it comes out in November. Mm-hmm. So we'll have her back. Maybe if any of you have questions or thoughts that you'd want her to speak on and expound on from this conversation, email us and we'll, we'll set those off as a list for further on. But 
I'm so excited for you. And I know that your book that's coming out in November has been a labor of love over years of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can't wait to finally hold it in my hands and read it and learn from you and from the wisdom that God's deposited in you and your work as a therapist, but also just your life as a child of God. You're faithful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just admire you so much. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Tori. Thanks for having me. This was I really enjoyed this conversation and I know that whoever is going to listen to it is going to hopefully really benefit from it. Amen. Would you close us in prayer for the ladies that are listening? Mm-hmm. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this time that we've set aside to um, to spend with you and to spend with each other. And I just pray that wherever this podcast episode is being listened to, that you would step into that moment with each woman who's listening and that you would impart exactly what they need, um, that you're not far off, that you are very present in that moment, in the details of their lives. And I just pray that you would extend to them whatever it is that they need, um, that you would equip them, encourage them to to feel what they need to feel and to step into the difficult places and to know that they're not doing any of that alone, that you are doing that with them. I just thank you for Tori. Thank you for this podcast. And thank you for the words that were shared today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That was great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for showing up and giving me an hour of your day. And Mm -hmm. it was awesome. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you have a second, leave a review or post a comment here on the podcast page. It helps this podcast to be seen by other people so we can spread this message far and wide. I cannot wait until next week and I'll talk to you soon.